0: me to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and we'll begin in the fourth chapter. Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Amen. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Um, I had an opportunity to speak this week to Sister Dot Smith's uh, son. He is a nurse practitioner at a hospital up I think he's in Blountsville, up, up that, in that part of the country anyway. And uh, his mom's doing well. Sister Dot's doing well. And um, we should see her back with us soon. Amen. So thank you for your prayers for Sister Dot just to give you that update. And um, I don't see the pews this morning, but uh, Jereen, all of her tests were good. And so we're just thankful that Sister Jereen and Brother Ricky are recovering. And we look forward to them being back with us soon as well. Amen. All right. The Lord spoke to my heart uh, towards the end of last year, beginning of this year. And he said that many of his people are wanting him to do things in their lives that they have not given him the place to do. In other words, we're wanting things to be his business that we haven't made his business. And of course, from that, we've learned that the Lord can't keep what you refuse to commit to him. Now, not last Sunday night, but the one before that, and I think the title of that sermon is Those He Can Trust, Part 4, but we use the example of a little kid who had built a model car, and if you've ever built a model car, something that you know, was fun to do, something we did when we were younger. But the thing about a model car is it's kind of fragile, and so we said that, just imagine for a moment that this kid wants his buddies to see the model car that he completed, and so he carries it to the playground, and he shows it to his buddies, and his buddies are impressed, and then they go and start to play on the swings and the slide, and now he's got this car that he needs somebody to keep for him because it's fragile and he doesn't want it to get broken, so he's gotta trust somebody with it. He's not gonna give it to his baby sister. Because she's not trustworthy, but but he's more than likely if, if he can, he's gonna give it to his mom. He's gonna commit it to her so that she can keep it. Now, if he doesn't commit it to her, she can't keep it. If he insists on holding it himself, then it's at risk. Amen. But if he commits it to her, if he trusts her with it, now notice, she can take care of that for him while he goes and enjoys the playground with his buddies. Paul said, I am persuaded that God is able to keep that which I've committed to him, which I've committed to him. See, we're wanting wanting Father to keep things for us that we haven't committed to him. Then we break the model car and it gets damaged and we blame Mama for it. Why would you let this happen? Mama didn't let it happen. You didn't commit it to mama. And the thing got broke. See, so we got to commit it, right? We got to commit. We got to give him that place in our lives. And so that natural selection, I don't mean evolution. I mean that natural selection of choosing your mother over your baby sister to keep your model car. That's giving your mother a place that you haven't given your baby sister, a place of trust. A place where you're recognizing this is someone who's qualified to care for this thing and and, and and keep it for me. So when we give God, when we commit these things to Him, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a natural expression of us giving Him that place in our lives. If we haven't given Him that place, then we see that these things do not work, so to speak, in our lives. All right, so let me keep just a little bit more review. So again, the Lord spoke to my heart and said many of His people are wanting Him to do things in their lives that they have not given Him the place to do. The Lord built on that truth when He said the church is wanting Him to have a place in our nation that we've not yet given Him in the church. And we want Him to have a place in the church that we've not given Him in our families. And we want Him to have a place in our families that we've not yet given Him personally. Amen. Moms, dads, if you want him to be Lord over your children and over your family, you got to make sure he's Lord over you. Amen. He can't be Lord over your family if he's not Lord over you. He can't be Lord over the church if he's not Lord over the families that are the church. How can he be Lord over a nation if he's not Lord over the members of his body who live in that nation? Last review, and I'll read from Luke, amen. Last Sunday night, we made this simple truth and reinforced it from the Word of God, and that is this. A disciple is someone who has given Jesus a place in their life others have refused to give him. A disciple is not just a new convert who goes to a new beginner Christian class. No, no, a disciple, more than anything else, is someone who has given Jesus a place in their life others have refused to give him. And we looked in the Word of God where those who gave him that place received things from Jesus that other people did not receive. All right, let's build on this some more. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing... And afterward, when they ended, he was hungry. Now, what follows in the Scriptures are the account of Jesus being tempted by the enemy. And all that's extremely important, but I'm not here to teach or expound on that um, today. But after he was tempted. Verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, from Jesus, until an opportune time. So let's pick it up in verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. Well, I got that verse in there twice. Maybe we need to read it twice. So again, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of Him went out through all the surrounding region, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all." Being glorified by all, right? Now, we are blessed with four different gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see that Each one of these are eyewitness testimony uh, written by those who were there, first-hand accounts of what these individual men witnessed, heard, experienced. They do not read identically to one another. In the same way that if Paul was to share his perspective on something that I witnessed and that Jake witnessed, right? Um, we would obviously, if we're telling the truth, we're gonna uh, you know, basically have the fundamental details right, but there may be things that Paul you know, saw that I didn't, that Jake saw that I didn't. And so, as a matter of fact, judges and attorneys will tell you if multiple people tell the same story identically, that's a pretty good sign that they, they, uh, you know, got together on it <laughs> and, and rehearsed it. Uh, and it, it actually weakens its authenticity uh, rather than strengthening it. In other words, there should be some slight variation in firsthand accounts of things. Now, we see that John, had a perspective because of his closeness to Jesus that others did not have. And the Gospel of John reads uh, more differently than the other three, Okay, Luke was a physician, medical doctor, and so we're going to see medical details in Luke's Gospel that we don't see in the others because these would have been things, again, that he understood. But still, this overarching truth covers all four Gospels, and that is, all Scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this was the Holy Spirit inspiring, breathing, writing through these men as these things were offered. Now, in Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, and where is He? He's in Galilee. Galilee. Jesus never performed a single miracle until he was baptized in water and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and rested upon him and remained upon him. And then and only then did Jesus perform his first miracle. John chapter 2 tells us this, this beginning of miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. So it wasn't until Jesus was baptized in water and then filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit... That he began to perform miracles. Right? So he is now in the power of the Spirit. He is now in the power of the Spirit. This is. This is a transition for Jesus. This is a new day, if you will, for Jesus. He did not begin his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old because that was a prerequisite of the law under which he was born. He was born of a virgin, but he was born under the law. And by law, he could not begin a public ministry until he was 30 years old. So there's a lot that's coming together here. And now his earthly ministry is underway. He's been tempted by the enemy, he's withstood that temptation, and now he is ready to be released, if you will, upon the world. And we know, among other things, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what Luke chose to record about this is fairly abbreviated compared to what Matthew had to say about these same events. So, let's go over, we'll come back, from Luke 4, let's go now to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Luke says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of Him went out through all surrounding region, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let's hear what Matthew has to say about these same events. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. I, I want to point out something to you that may seem like a minor point now, but will make more sense later. Synagogues, plural. Synagogues, plural. Okay? So, if you understand a, a Jewish synagogue, okay, think like a local church with the temple being the main headquarters, but synagogues being local churches, local places where Jews would assemble for teaching, for instruction, for worship, okay? And they, and they were scattered out all around the region. So when he, again, went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, plural, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Alright, so do you see how what Luke had to say about this did not really begin to tell all that was happening in Galilee when Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And for that matter, what Matthew revealed to us, although it certainly contains more details than the Holy Spirit led Luke to reveal. Even what Matthew is, is saying here is but a, a small mentioning of categories of things that Jesus did that could very well have represented thousands of miracles, healing, deliverance, Breakthrough, supernatural provision being made available. Amen. So, Matthew certainly gives us more than Luke, but even Matthew's more expanded version is but a synopsis of what it means for Jesus to return in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. All right. So let's go back to verse 15 of Luke chapter 4. Turn back there with me. Luke chapter 4, verse 15. And it says that He taught in their synagogues in Galilee, being glorified by all, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Meaning what? Meaning that he went to one synagogue, and he preached there, and the people received him there, and many miracles were done there, and then he went to the next synagogue, he did it again, and again, and again. And we see that there was a general consensus, there was a a general opinion or attitude, amen, that that accompanied Jesus uh, in each of these different uh, individual locations within the region of Galilee uh, where he ministered. Now, a key word in all of this is that word glorified, being glorified by all. I want to put a definition up on the board, on the screen this morning. And this is um, from the Complete Word Study Dictionary, New Testament, electronic edition, amen. Um, And I'm just telling you that to give the credit here so you know where this came from. But this word glorified, it means the consequential meaning from the opinion which one forms is to recognize honor, praise, invest with dignity, give anyone esteem or honor by putting him into an honorable position. Can somebody say, giving him place? They gave him place. When he went to Galilee and went to the synagogues, plural, in Galilee, and the Bible says that he was glorified by all in the synagogues in Galilee, what this literally means is that the people in Galilee gave him place. Now, I understand there's some big words in this definition, and it is a bit wordy, okay? So, let's just spend a moment to break it down. If you'll notice in this definition, or or unveiling if you will, of this word, we first see the consequential meaning. And by consequential meaning, it's saying that Jesus being glorified was the result or consequence of the people forming an opinion of Him. Are you seeing this? If we look at this and say, well, Jesus did great things and the people glorified Him, we're missing what this word glorified means. It means that the people formed an opinion of him, and the consequence of the opinion that they formed was to give him a place above themselves. They esteemed him to have something for them that they could not obtain any other way or from any other place or person. They gave Him a place of honor. They gave Him a place of esteem. They responded to Him accordingly by placing Him in an honorable position. Now, being glorified by all... Listen to me, please. This is is so critically important. We, We talk about worship around here a lot, but remember... Worship is more than just something we do. Worship is ultimately an outward expression of an inward attitude of the heart. And remember, the word worship means to kiss. And that doesn't mean that we sit there blowing kisses to Jesus like some people try to say. If you understand what that word meant in their day, The way people greeted one another in those days was by kissing one another. But the location of the kiss was was given to make a statement. If two people kissed on the lips, they were saying they were equal to one another. If one person kissed another on both cheeks, they were saying, you're a little bit above me. If you knelt down and kissed them on the hand of the ring, you were saying, you're my elder to be respected. I'm to honor you. All the way down to people, remember the woman who kissed Jesus' feet, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. That was an act of her giving him place in her life. And she she did that for Jesus while he was reclined at a table... Uh, Eating a meal with one of the religious leaders and what that lady was doing was making everybody at that table uncomfortable. And Jesus pointed out, I came to your house, you did not greet me. I came to your house, you did not provide a, 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 a bowl for me to wash my feet with much less wash them yourself, right? In other words, Jesus pointed out all the things that that religious leader did not do for Jesus that now God the Father had sent this woman who was a, a vile sinner. I mean, the Bible doesn't try to cover that up. In to give Jesus that place, amen, in her life. So it was, in, it was, a, it was a stark comparison between someone who thought himself to be better than Jesus, above Jesus, he was curious about Jesus. He just invited Jesus to his house because Jesus was popular. Maybe being around Jesus would make him popular, right? But he, this idea of giving Jesus a place of esteem at his table, did ne- it never entered his mind. Because it wasn't in his heart. It wasn't in his heart. This idea that that you know worship is just lifting the hands that worship is just singing a song or that worship is just again worship begins with an attitude to kiss it's it's where you recognize who he is and who you are in relationship to who he is again I am who he says I am only because he is who I say he is we've got to give him that place we've got to give him that place so I've read this passage for years and it's very easy for us to say, well, Jesus did a whole bunch of things there and the people were impressed with Him and they glorified Him. That's, that's not what He's saying here. He's saying that the people, right, the, the glorified Him is the consequential meaning from which one forms uh, is to recognize, honor, praise, invest with dignity, give anyone esteem or honor by putting them in an honorable position. It's kind of one of those things which came first, the miracles or the glorifying of Him. And it's very easy for us to think the miracles came first and then the glorifying of Him. That the miracles came and, Jesus, and, they, and they gave Jesus place. No, it's just the opposite. They gave Jesus place and then the miracles came. He said, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure that's right. We're gonna keep reading, you're gonna see it's right. Because when He comes home to Nazareth, they do not give Him place, and he therefore cannot do any miracles. Amen, are you still with me? So simply stated, they gave him place. That doesn't mean they gave him a nice room to stay in. It doesn't mean they gave him a nice hotel room. Obviously, the Odell's are coming, and we're going to give them a place to stay. We're going to provide a hotel room for them to stay in. But that's not the same as giving them place As modern-day Apostles Amen, you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says that anyone in, in, in in a position of ministry That if we will give them that place in our lives, we will be given their reward So clearly we're going to give them a place We're going to take care of them while they're here, but that's not what this is talking about that they gave Jesus an honorable position You know the a nice suite in the local hotel It doesn't mean that they gave him an earthly throne to sit on, nor does it even mean they gave him a key to the city. But the place they gave him began with an opinion or estimation of him in their hearts. Let's say it this way. You ready? The people in Galilee gave Jesus a place from which he could work and do amazing things among them. The people in Galilee gave Jesus a place from which he could work and do amazing things among them. All right. Let's go back now. I want you to see this. We're going to read it this way. Amen. Luke chapter 4. Let's go back to verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of Him went out through all the surrounding region, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Do we have a better understanding, looking at, looking at that word glorified by all, what that means, and then also going back to Matthew's Gospel to see what all was really happening here. Do you have a better understanding of, of all that now, better picture of all that now? Yes? Yes, Do we need to spend some more time there. You got that? Okay, now watch this. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth. So he came to Nazareth. He left Galilee, that region, and did what? So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All right, let me get a drink of water. I know that you probably got it five minutes ago, but I just want to make sure. He went to Galilee in the power of the flesh. No, no. He went to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And where did he go? He went to the synagogues. And when he went to the synagogues, he preached. Right? now. We don't have record in Matthew's Gospel of what he preached. We just have record in Matthew's Gospel of what happened when he preached. Luke's Gospel, again, the Holy Spirit used these different men to emphasize different things. In Luke's Gospel, we see what he preached because it was his custom or his habit in other words this is what he did in the other synagogues and so now he's in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth and he's gonna do in Nazareth what he did in every other synagogue in Galilee he's going to announce that the Spirit of God is now upon him because he went to Galilee in the power of the Spirit for the first time he could stand up in a synagogue and say The Spirit of the Lord is now upon me and He is empowering me to do some stuff for you. Right? Are you seeing this? So that's what He did in Galilee and my goodness, those people gave Him place to work among them and because they gave Him place, they gave Him uh, an, an opportunity, an open door for Him to do some amazing miracles, some amazing things in their life. So He comes to Nazareth. And He did in Nazareth what He did in Galilee. He went to the local synagogue. He didn't say, hand me any of those scrolls, any of them will do. He said, hand me the scroll from Isaiah that contains the prophecy about the Messiah being anointed. This was his custom. That word custom means this was the way he was doing things. This was something that he had done enough times that it had become a habit. In other words, this was not the first time he did this, right? It was a habit now. Let me say it another way. He had a habit of going to the local synagogue, taking the scroll from Isaiah, and announcing what Isaiah prophesied and is exactly what he did, right? Now, it's kind of interesting that he went and sat down. Right, kind of be, uh, Brother Darrell, I'm going this way, so amen. It'd be kind of like, you know, if I just, you know, just kind of read some scriptures and went over here and sat down. And everybody's like, is it over? Are you done? I mean, is that all, Jesus? See, that's how we think. But we would not be understanding what was really going on here. Because in every one of those synagogues, they had a special place, a special chair, a special seat that was for the Messiah. That chair was there in anticipation of the day that He would come. In other words, it was like saying, it it would be like, you come home late for dinner, and the family's already eating, but your place is set at the table. But It's like we're waiting on you, right? We've got a spot for you. We haven't forgotten about you. There's a place for you, and as soon as you show up, you've got a seat right here among us. So there was a seat in all these synagogues that everybody knew was a seat reserved for the Messiah. Moms and dads, if you brought your children to the synagogue, you did not let them play on the seat reserved for the Messiah. Everybody say, what's that big old nice chair up there on on the platform for? What's that chair up front for? Why is that there? It was all about teaching, right? It was that, son, that chair is for our Messiah. The prophets told us that a Messiah is coming one day and that the Spirit of God would be upon him and that when he came, he would set the captives free and he would preach a message to us that would change the world forever. And we're expecting that Messiah to come and we're so excited and in so expectation of that Messiah to come that we have a seat for him in every synagogue you'll go to that is only for him to sit down in when he gets here so that he will know when he arrives that we were waiting on him and we were expecting him. Right? So Jesus, he's on the synagogue tour, right? He would go into the synagogue. He would read the prophecy about the Messiah. He would hand the scroll back to the attendant. And with every eye fixed on him, he would walk over to that chair for the Messiah. And he would sit down and he would say, Today, your wait is over. Right now. Everything that is needed to make every word I just read to you is available to you to perform these miracles in your life and in your family right here, right now, today. That's what he said, right? In synagogue after synagogue after synagogue that he went to in Galilee, the people went bananas. woo He's finally here. We have been waiting on him. We we'll knew he was coming. We we'll knew the one who had our answers. We we'll knew the one who had healing in His wings was going to come one day. And Hallelujah, He's here. Right? Meaningful consequences. Right? As they put it together. They were of the opinion He's the one. He's our Messiah. They gave him that place. Listen, now, this is another set of sermons that's coming soon, okay? Maybe next week. No, not next week. Brother Jerry's going to be next week. In a couple of weeks. Jesus said that the shepherds who climb over the wall and try to take the place of shepherd but are not shepherds are robbers and thieves. David said of the Lord, "The Lord is my shepherd." What was he doing? He was giving the Lord that place in his life. Are you hearing me? There's a lot of people who say, "The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want you. He' no more their shepherd than, than Michael Jackson's their shepherd. You hear what I'm saying? Because they haven't given him that place. David wasn't just saying some pretty words when he said that. He was, every time he said it, he was acknowledging, "The Lord is my shepherd, I'm his sheep." I know who he is and I know who I am in relationship to him right the Good Shepherd is not going to force himself on you or make you give him a place that you don't voluntarily give him doesn't change doesn't change the reality he is the Great Shepherd but he's only your Shepherd if you give him that place so when Jesus went and sat down in that chair some people could say he was Taking that place? No, no. See, he wasn't taking that place. He had been given that place. Are you hearing me? Before he was ever given that place by anybody under him, he was first given that place by the only one over him, his father. His father gave him that chair. His father was the only one qualified to give him that chair, and his father gave him that place. So when Jesus went over and took that place, he was taking the place that someone He had given place to over him had given to him. Are you hearing me? See, again, we're wanting God the Father to put us in our place. We haven't put, in, put Jesus in the place that he does belongs in our lives. Amen. And so because we haven't given him place, there's nobody over us to give us ours. So God the Father gave him that place. He was just simply taking the place that Father God... Had given him now everybody present has the opportunity to either say thumbs up yes you're my messiah we've been waiting on you i'm so glad you're here or you're joseph's son who do you think you are sitting in that chair big shot Right. that's what happened in Nazareth that's what happened in Nazareth let me keep reading and I'll finish right here he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing notice he began to say he began to say. I believe that there was a whole lot more that he wanted to say, but they had already made their decision. Are you hearing me? You don't have to believe this to get to heaven. I'm just telling you, I, I, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit has me in this moment, right? His heart was full of things to say. But remember, he said to the disciples, those who had given him a place in their lives that others refused to give him, he said I tell you things that I can't tell everybody else so he began to say but all that he was going to say next couldn't say because it took people about that long to decide whether or not he belonged in that chair or not whether they were going to give him that place or not So he began to say, Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. In other words, this is what they were saying, right? Jesus, we're not sure about you. We're not sure who you are, who you think you are. So I'll tell you what, just do some tricks for us and, 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 and we'll decide. That was their attitude, right? Then he said, there's a whole lot of preaching here. Do you see why I'm, I'm asking to be here tonight? If not, get the tape, okay, get the, listen to it, the tape. That's so uh, 80s, right? Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Singers musicians, if you would come, please. So again, there's a lot of teaching here, preaching here. The widow that Elijah was sent to and the leper that Elisha cleansed, the two things they had in common were what? Number one, and I'll stop here but that, Neither one of them were Jewish. Neither one of them were Jewish. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there were a whole bunch of widows starving to get to death in Israel. And there were a whole bunch of people with leprosy in Elisha's day in Israel. But none of them were ministered to by God's prophet in Israel but who was ministered to was a was a non-jewish woman and a non-jewish Syrian military officer you probably already ahead of me but you know the the next thing those two had in common is that they both gave the prophet place in their lives they both gave the prophet place in their lives With Naaman, it's hard to stop, I'm stopping. With Naaman, the Syrian king sent a letter to the king in Israel and said, listen, dear friend, high-ranking military officer, he's he's eat up with leprosy, he's dying. I'm sending him to you, please receive him and, and heal him and send him back cleansed. And the king in Israel is freaking out. See, he he's not even given Elisha place. He doesn't it's it's the little servant girl who says, there's a, there's a prophet in my home country who can heal you. The king of Israel didn't believe it. But that little servant girl did. Which inspired Naaman to go and give the prophet place. <sighs> Stay with me, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You with me this morning? You seeing where this is going this morning? (laughs) Are you seeing what Jesus is teaching us this morning? Do you see how he was wanting us to compare how he was received in Galilee versus how he was received in Nazareth? and how that affected what he was able to do in Galilee compared to what he was unable to do in Nazareth. And then he doubles and triples down on it by going all the way back to the Old Testament with these two accounts. There were a lot of lepers in Elisha's day. There were a lot of starving widows in Elijah's day. But it was only the ones who received the prophet in the name of the prophet who gave him place. Now you can argue all you want to about whether or not that's right or fair or just or whatever. God's fair, right, just God and you're ridiculous for trying to argue with him that he's not. I know we all have those moments of the flesh, but here's the last thing that we've got to come to terms with whether you think this is right or not it's how it is. It's how it is. Amen. Let's bow. Father, thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for helping us connect with your word in a very real and personal way this morning. And Father, what I believe from your holy scriptures is that today these scriptures are fulfilled in our hearing today is no different than the day Jesus sat down in that chair that was for the Messiah in his hometown of Nazareth It's, it's no different today than it was then no different today than it was that first time Jesus you did it in the synagogue in Galilee the only difference then is the only difference now the place we choose to give you place we choose to give you hallelujah 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 would you pray this simple prayer with me repeat after me father Father. come on you can do better than that Father. father Will you help me? Will you help me see what I've been blinded to? Would you help me understand what I've been ignorant of? Would you help me hear what I've been deafened to? And would you help me, Father, give you the place in my life that you deserve. Would you help me, Father? Put your word in the right place in my life, above all other words, above all other opinions, above all other facts. Help me, Father. Put you in the place in my life that you deserve. a place of honor, a place of of respect, a place of of overriding supremacy supremacy. in everything that has anything anything to do with me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing before we're dismissed.